We're not the sex police. We're not HR. We're there to help you bring your scene to fruition and make it look great and authentic and keep everybody safe along the way. Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Lay Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Sex scenes are common in movies and on TV, but have you ever stopped to think about everything that goes into bringing one of those scenes to life? It starts in the writer's room. Basically, somebody has to script the scene first. And then a couple of strangers are hired to act it out and get incredibly intimate and then do this over and over and over again in front of a bunch of cameras and an entire production crew. It's a unique situation, and it puts the actors in a highly vulnerable position. For example, what if your scene partner goes off script and does something that you didn't previously consent or agree to? Or what if the director asks you to remove more clothing or to do something you aren't comfortable with? Would you feel comfortable speaking up in this room full of people and risk losing your job? In the past, issues like these weren't given a lot of consideration, but that has all changed in recent years with the rise of intimacy coordinators. These are the folks who work to carefully choreograph sexual and intimate scenes to ensure respect and safety for the performers. So let's talk about what that's like. I have a two-part show for you that will peel back the curtain on Hollywood sex scenes. Today, I'm going to be speaking with an intimacy coordinator about the evolution of on-screen sex scenes and the rise of intimacy coordinators. And in the next episode, we're going to do a deep dive into the nuts and bolts of being an intimacy coordinator, including how you make a simulated sex scene feel intimate and erotic. I am joined by Marcy Leroff, who has worked as a casting director, producer, and acting coach for more than 40 years. Her extensive credits span more than 60 films and television series. In 2019, she completed an extensive training course and is now a certified intimacy coordinator. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. Stick around and we're going to jump in right after the break. Healthcare training programs usually include some information about gender and sexuality, but few of them give you adequate training if your goal is to become a sex therapist or educator. This is where the modern sex therapy institutes can help. MSTI offers a PhD program in clinical sexology, as well as multiple certification programs in sex therapy and sex education for mental health and medical professionals. All trainings can be completed 100% online. Whether you're looking for a certification or simply an opportunity to build and expand your knowledge base, MSTI can help. For more information on their programs and offerings, find the link in the show notes or visit modernsextherapyinstitutes.com. Don't know what to get your partner this holiday season? Give the gift of pleasure. Material objects are temporary, but sexual happiness is a gift that can keep giving all year long. That's why I recommend checking out Beducated, a revolutionary form of online sex education. They have an extensive library of courses that you can take at your own pace in the comfort of your own home, designed to help you level up your sex life, enhance intimacy, awaken pleasure, and connect on a new level. You can try all of their courses today for free, and if you like what you see, you can get 40% off the yearly pass by using my last name, Laymiller, as the coupon code. You can also give your partner a personalized Beducated gift card. Check the show notes for the link or visit beducated.com and be sure to use my last name to get your discount. If you love the science of sex as much as I do, consider becoming a friend of the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University. 
The Kinsey Institute is the world's premier research organization on sex and relationships, and you can help them continue the legacy of Dr. Alfred Kinsey, whose pioneering research changed everything we think we know about sex. Visit KinseyInstitute.org to make an impact. Your donations can help support ongoing research projects on critical topics. You can also show your support by following Kinsey Institute on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for supporting Sex Science. Hi, Marcy, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Hi, Justin. Nice to meet you. It is nice to meet you, too. Thank you so much for joining me. You have a fascinating job, and I'm really looking forward to learning more about it. So, as I mentioned, you have a pretty extensive background in film and television, and you've worn many hats, from casting director to producer to acting coach. But a couple of years ago, you went back and added another hat to that collection by becoming a certified intimacy coordinator. So to kick off our conversation, can you tell us a little bit about what drew you to this area and made you make the career switch? Well, I have been casting, as you say, for the last 40 plus years. And for the last few years, I've been looking for my next act because I feel like casting has really changed. And frankly, I've been a little burnt out by the process these days. There's just way too many cooks in the kitchen for me. So I've been looking around and roughly 2017, I read an article about a woman named Alicia Rodis. She is pretty much our first intimacy coordinator. She had been a stunt performer and was contacted by HBO to work on a show called The Deuce. The show is going back to its second season, and the show takes place in the world of sex workers. And the actors were feeling particularly vulnerable by the new guest stars or co-stars that would be coming in for each show. And they said, we really kind of don't want to come back if you're not going to have an ally for us on the set. And they had a meeting with HBO, the actors, namely a woman named Emily Mead, who is a series regular on the show. And they described what they were looking for, that they were looking for some representation, an ally on set for simulated sex scenes and scenes involving nudity. And they basically carved out what this job became. Alicia started working on the show and the actors were so grateful and loved her and the studio really and network really loved the work that she was doing and decided to make it mandatory on all HBO shows that have this content to have an intimacy coordinator involved in prep and on set. And thus was birthed this new position. Now, this position did exist in theater. It's called an intimacy director, but it isn't, it wasn't as codified as it is now. And there weren't as many protocols put in place. Now it is widely used globally on uh, film and television sets. And so when I read about this, I thought this sounds so interesting and it really encompasses all of my skill sets because I've been working as a casting director for, like I said, 40 plus years. So I'm working very closely with the actors, the directors, the filmmakers, the studio. I've produced several films, so I'm used to being on set and I know that dynamic and the the etiquette that you need on set. I've been coaching actors for the last dozen years. I love working with filmmakers and I love working with actors. And there's something in me, it might be in my DNA, that I am very comfortable with speaking up for those that don't have a voice. And an actor on set, unless they are the star or number one or two on the call sheet, 
it's very hard to have a voice and speak up for yourself and advocate for yourself when you know you can be fired for speaking up. And so I did some research and I found a woman in Los Angeles named Amanda Blumenthal, who is the first intimacy coordinator in Los Angeles. And she started doing training. And so I was part of her second cohort. And this was back in 2018. I studied for most of the year with her and at the end of 2019 became uh, certified and started working, just full-time working and just fell into this and really love it. I love that. Thank you for sharing that story. And I really like this idea of, you know, wanting to give a voice to people who might not feel empowered to speak up for themselves. And I think that's so, so important. And it feeds nicely into my next question, because I was going to talk about just the general difficulty people have when it comes to communicating about sex in general, even if it's just with their own spouse or partner in the privacy of their own bedroom. People don't always feel empowered in those situations to say what they want or what they're feeling. And then if you think about sex in the context of a Hollywood sex scene, you know, speaking up for yourself might be even more difficult because as you mentioned, you know, this is your job, your livelihood depends on it. And so that's creating some pressure. But then there might also be your scene partner or the director who's this famous person who has the power to make your life difficult if you don't comply. And then there's sort of just the general normative pressure of being in this room full of other people and everyone wants to finish their job and go home and you're holding everyone else up if you complain about something, right? So can you talk to us a little bit about the power dynamics that exist on set and how in the past that has disempowered actors and created opportunities for harassment and mistreatment. Okay, you just asked me like 17 questions. So <laughs> let me let me um, let me touch on a few of them. You did mention the power dynamic, which is a really important issue in Hollywood basically and certainly in filmmaking. And one of the things that we're there to do, and I know a lot of those in production will probably not want to hear this, but we're kind of there to interrupt that power dynamic. You know, much like a casting director, where as a casting director, I work with the filmmaker to help them get what they need and want. And I'm also working with the studio and the network to serve their needs as well. And so I'm kind of, you know, on the fence working with two sides. It's very similar in this situation in that I'm there for the actor and I'm also there for the filmmaker. So I'm there for the actor to make sure that they feel comfortable and that they are safe and that they are heard. And I'm there for the filmmaker to help them tell their story and get the shot that they need and make it look authentic and make it come off the page in a safe way so that no one gets hurt and everyone wins in this situation. Part of what I'm doing is facilitating those people to have the language to get what they need. And in many cases, I'll work with a filmmaker who is very comfortable in this arena and maybe has done it before. And then I'll work with some filmmakers who treat it like hot potato and they're like squeamish and giggling and they're like, here, you do it. So it really runs the gamut depending on the director that I'm working with. But we want to get very specific before we shoot the scene and find out exactly what is going to happen so that there's no surprises on the day. It used to be where actors would agree to do a scene, they would very loosely discuss it. And, you know, it's not very specific on the page, 
what's going to happen in that scene. And they would typically show up wrapped up in a towel or a, or a robe, and they would meet their partner for the first time. There's usually not no rehearsal. There's a bed there, and they're naked underneath. And the director says, okay, go for it. And they're left to choreograph this scene without any discussion beforehand of boundaries. Like, where are we touching today? Where's off limits? Consent. Consent is the cornerstone of my work. So we have a lot of discussions in prep, which never took place before. So that on the day, we know exactly what we're doing and we we fall into it. We think of it as we're like a stunt coordinator for intimate scenes. And if you know anything about how films are made or TV is made, stunts are planned within an inch of their life. They're extremely well planned and talked about and rehearsed. And safety is the number one thing. So people don't really understand. They think of safety as a physical thing, but safety also is your mental and psychological safety and your mental health. And that's something that has really never been considered before. And that's what I find really exciting about this job is that people are being taken care of for the long run, because many times actors will do a scene in the past and have it go sideways for a million different ways and then really regret it. And they're living with that trauma because it is it can be very trauma producing because these performers are in a vulnerable and hyper exposed circumstance. And like we talked about in the power dynamic, it's really impossible to say no to someone that has the hiring and firing power. It's very hard to find your voice in that situation, especially when it's all happening in the moment. And so a couple of things that have happened that maybe we want to talk about in part two about where uh, SAG After has come in to make some rules around auditioning and on the set a little bit more specific than they were in the previous contracts. So the intimacy coordinators have a committee and we worked with SAG-AFTRA to help them with their 2020 contract. And I can go into those new clauses in the next episode if you'd like. You raised a lot of really important points. You know, I was curious about, you know, how did this work in the era before intimacy coordinators, just in general? And, you know, to my understanding, they would have nudity clauses and, you know, there would be something that was often spelled out. But as you mentioned, that wasn't enough, you know, because you would have these performers showing up with no rehearsal and you can see the potential for that to really go sideways and how it could have these long-term negative implications for it could be a person's reputation or it could be their mental or emotional health that they end up having this scene where something happened that they did not consent to or just something that they later regret. So I think that really highlights the importance of having intimacy coordinators. And you also mentioned that this is a fairly new phenomenon. You know, it's really only in the last five, six years or so where we've started to hear a lot more about this. So let's talk a little bit about sort of the birth of intimacy coordinators as a profession. You know, I don't think it was until Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement came along that we really started talking about this in the context of Hollywood. The timing was not coincidental that we were accepted into the film world. You know, in October of 2017 is when things were exposed, no pun intended, with what Weinstein was doing. And so the studios and the networks really saw a need 
to protect their uh, their livelihood, quite honestly. And so in many ways, it was adopted as optics in terms of, you know, yeah, we have an intimacy coordinator, and so we're doing all the right things, and we're protecting our people. So we absolutely hopped onto that bandwagon to make this new position acceptable. I mean, it's been a really, I can't even remember the last time that a new position has been invented on set. So there is a lot of education that goes into this job every time I, I have a new job. People are always coming up to me going, what, what is what is your job? Like, what what is it? What are you doing? And they're giggling and they're thinking that, you know, I'm a sex therapist, and which is really not the job. As I said, there's a lot of education that needs to be done so that the directors and the producers know how to utilize all of the skills that we have on set. There is still a lot of pushback that goes on with old school or older directors that have been doing this their way for quite some time and really don't want another person inserted into that process. What they don't understand is that as a department head, we collaborate with the filmmakers just like every other department head, just like your hair and makeup, just like your production designer, just like your stunt coordinator. We're not the sex police. We're not HR. We're there to help you bring your scene to fruition and make it look great and authentic and keep everybody safe along the way. So it's an evolving position. And I've worked on some sets where there are, they are so open and so welcoming and understand how to utilize us. And I've worked on other sets where they don't want me there and they ban me from the room. So there's still a lot of pushback and we're still trying to do our jobs. Yeah, I think you raise a lot of important points there that, you know, part of the reason why intimacy coordinators started to become widely adopted had a little bit to do with virtue signaling and symbolism on the part of networks and these production companies wanting to say, hey, see, we're, we're actually doing something. And it's great that people came into this position and really tried to create standards and certifications for it so that it was being done in a responsible way. And now that it's being embedded more, hopefully that continues because it seems to have a lot of benefits for basically everybody on on the staff. So, you know, yes, it does provide the cover your ass thing for the studio, but it's also providing these benefits to everyone involved in the production. And, you know, you also totally anticipated my next question, which was about the misconceptions of intimacy coordinators. You know, the idea that it's human resources coming down, that it's the fun police or whatever, right? And I I think you make a compelling case for why you bring value to the production and it's balancing that how do you get this artistic vision with also protecting the people who are involved? But one of the challenges to this profession is that, you know, there haven't been these longstanding standards and certifications for intimacy coordinators. You know, at one point, people could just kind of show up and say, hey, I'm an intimacy coordinator, hire me. And that led to some bad experiences. You know, what happens when somebody just shows up and gets hired? How can that go sideways? And then also, what does the certification process look like? Well, it's still a little bit of the wild, wild west out there in terms of training and certification. And within the community, there are definitely a couple different camps of one feeling that certification is absolutely necessary and another camp feeling that it's not necessary, that I can learn on my own, have very specific training with different people and don't have to pay thousands of dollars 
to get that. And there are many that feel that the training itself is a little exclusionary to those that can't quite afford that. The training is, at least the training that I did with Amanda Blumenthal, who runs an organization called Intimacy Professionals Association, is a six-month process that has an extremely robust reading list of many books that have to do with psychology, communication, nonviolent communication. You know, we're, we're on set having to deal with several different department heads. We intersect with hair and makeup, camera, wardrobe, the producers, a stunt person, if the scene calls for a stunt person. There are so many different people that we have to deal with, and there is definitely set etiquette that you have to know. I think someone coming into this job that has never been on a set is definitely a red flag. A lot of producers are hiring us without really vetting us and just going for the least expensive person, which you know often happens. And things that can go sideways is an intimacy coordinator involved in scenes that are very intense in one reason or another, and not understanding how to handle the people in a psychological way. There's damage to be done. For instance, there was a film recently um, called Blonde about Marilyn Monroe, and it had a lot of nudity and a lot of simulated sex. And they went through several intimacy coordinators because I hope I'm not saying anything out of school, but I think the filmmaker really didn't want an intimacy coordinator there and just kept firing people and trying to get people that would come in and and just kind of sit back and, and let him do what he wanted to do. So the process, I mean, there's just so much to the training. It's hard for me to be specific about it, but uh, we're trained in trauma first aid, trauma therapy, because an actor can be on set and in the middle of a scene and suddenly something out of nowhere can trigger them. And I'm there on set. I'm either in the room with them or mostly on the monitor so I can be watching them. So they've always got my eyes on them and I can see them starting to have a meltdown. And you have to be trained to see those patterns and have a voice to be able to go to the AD and say, we need to pause. We need to take a moment. And then I'm trained to help that person get off that ledge. I also work with the crew. You know, like if I'm doing a, um, a particularly violent scene, let's say a rape scene, it's all simulated, but it's still very realistic. I will talk to the crew beforehand. I will have a a chat with the crew saying that we're having a a very sensitive scene today and you may get triggered. You may get triggered in the moment. You may get triggered when you get home and you sit there and think about it. Because you remember, you're watching it over and over and over again. And you can never really prepare for what's going to trigger you. And so I tell them that I'm, I can help you in the moment. If we need a safe word, come to me, but you can call me later. So we're trained in, in that. We're trained in choreography and movement. Some directors I work with know exactly how they want this to be shot. Some have no idea. And so I literally design the scene and come up with and block and come up with all the movement for the scene. Most of the scenes that you're seeing, every bit of them are choreographed like a dance. So you think of this as a body dance. And so that things are not improvised. So that an actor can't suddenly like make a move that we haven't talked about or touch someone in a place that they have said, no, 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 this is off limits for me or touch them in a way, you know, with a certain pressure. We go over not just touch, but how we're being touched. 
we help the director be a storyteller. You know, there's a way to convey a scene. Breathing is a very important part of it. So if we're doing a particularly slow and loving and lazy scene, there, breathing is very much part of it. If we're doing a fast, you know, rip off your clothes and tense, we're just like, you know, going for it. That's another thing to consider, the breathing. And so we need to know from the director what they're looking for, or we can help supply that and help them tell that story. Yeah. And I think you make a very compelling case for why you want somebody who has some certification or training or credentials, or at least a lot of experience in this area, because there are so many different things to take into account. True. There's really, there's no way to teach someone what an onset experience is like. And those that don't have any film experience are generally not accepted into the program. You know, you have to apply to these programs and you have to be accepted. You can't just like pay your way into it. There's really no way to teach set etiquette or what it's like to be on set and how to uh, behave. So I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah. So it's not enough to just have extensive sexual knowledge. (laughs) There are a lot of other things you need to know here. Exactly. There's a lot of sex therapists and people that have been working in that arena for a while that apply, but if they don't have the component of of filmmaking, it doesn't necessarily translate. Yeah. So something I'm curious about, you mentioned how sex scenes can be highly variable. You know, it could be the slow and tender, or it could be the intense and rough kind of sex. You know, it can also be kinky or BDSM themed in some way. And you're also going to have diversity in the sense of, you know, maybe it's a male-female scene, or maybe it's a same-sex scene. And then on top of that, you have to layer in complex ethnic, cultural, and other factors like the disability status of the actors or performers and how all of these things intersect with sexuality. So basically my point in mentioning this is just that, you know, there's a certain cultural awareness you have to bring to all of this and respect for all of these different forms of diversity. So I'm curious whether as an intimacy coordinator, you just have to be prepared to do all of this or whether you subspecialize or work in teams because, you know, there are just so many diversity considerations to take into account. A large part of our training is understanding the diverse community that we are working in. And so we really are an LGBTQIA plus ally in that we have done a lot of research and a lot of training to understand people's sexual identity, their sexual preference, who they are, you know, we're there to protect them on set. Like I worked on something where I had a trans woman performer and the costume supervisor refused to call her she a she. And so I'm there to educate the crew as well. And so in terms of specialties is if I got a project that had a BDSM component or some kink component, I would be doing a lot of research because that's not my wheelhouse. Now, I've already done a lot of training. And one thing, if you're an intimacy coordinator, it's really important to be doing ongoing education. So I'm taking seminars all the time. I've probably taken 10 this year, all with uh, people that have a special background in that. For instance, the show, The L Word, I think it's Q Generation, like the reboot of it. Like, I wouldn't get that job. And I shouldn't get that job. You should hire a queer person for that job. So there are a lot of uh, diverse people in our community 
for those positions and for those particular stories that have to be told. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, just one of the other complexities in this world of filmmaking is that if you want to depict diversity and have it done in a way that is culturally sensitive and aware, you have to bring in the right people to help guide you in terms of getting that vision. Exactly. I mean, I'm not saying that I can't do a queer show. I've certainly done a boatload of queer scenes. But if I were producing a show that is like just, you know, 100% queer, I would hire a, a queer IC. Yep. So we've talked a lot about kind of the evolution of sex on film and the rise of intimacy coordinators. And in our next conversation, we're going to focus on sort of the nuts and bolts of being an intimacy coordinator. So stay tuned for that. Well, thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Marcy. It was a pleasure to have you here. You're welcome. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work? Oh, sure. I have a website that's, it's my name, marcyleroffic.com. Fantastic. So thank you again for being here. And thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Miller and Instagram at Justin J. Miller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>